Hey everyone, it's Leslie Ludi, host of the Set Apart Girl podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. Today we're going to look at biblical keys to romantic fulfillment. With Valentine's Day here, it just seemed like a great topic to tackle because I know a lot of us actually struggle on Valentine's Day, whether we're single or married, because the culture is constantly reminding us that we have the right to be romantically fulfilled. And so if you're in your single years, you might be just hearing those subtle messages that you need to get out there and find happiness by, you know, finding that special someone. You have the right to settle down and be happy with the person of your dreams. So the culture may be pushing dating apps and online dating services and singles groups and tips on how to flirt with guys, how to know if guys are attracted to you. I mean, it's just everywhere. And it's very easy in those single years to look at Valentine's Day as either sort of an excuse to take control of this area of your life and go out there and try to get what you want or to just be discouraged because maybe you're still single and you don't have someone in your life I've heard people jokingly call Valentine's Day Singleness Awareness Day, which is just sort of a funny way of putting it, you know, when you're single and not and don't have someone in the culture is constantly putting this pressure on you and just reminding you, hey, you're not going to be happy until you solve this area of your life. It's easy to slip into loneliness and discontentment. But it's not just singles that can get frustrated on Valentine's Day when those reminders come up. If you're married, oftentimes we're hearing the message that it's your right to make your spouse into the Prince Charming of your romantic dreams and that it's totally reasonable for you to make his life miserable until he finally starts living up to your expectations. And this leads to a lot of women who are just frustrated in their marriages and nagging and really making their their own life and their life of their spouse miserable because he's not um, as sensitive and romantic as the heroes in the, the romantic books that they read or the romantic movies that they see. But really, the key to romantic fulfillment, whether we're married or single, doesn't come from fighting for our, quote, rights, but it comes from laying them down at the feet of Jesus. And there's such a countercultural message. I grew up really fighting for my rights. And when I was in my teen years, God really convicted me that I needed to live a life of surrender, to let him have control of these areas that I was clinging so tightly to. And amazingly, it wasn't until I laid down my own rights, my own expectations, my own agenda, and said, Lord, I'm just entrusting this to you. You do with this area of my life exactly as you see fit. It wasn't until I actually made that decision that I experienced romantic fulfillment because God wasn't really able to bring me into his perfect plan for this area of my life while I was scraping and fighting for what I wanted. It was only when I came to that place of surrender that he said, now I can really outline my plan for this era of your life and and place my desires in your heart so that I can fulfill them in my own time and way. So when we lay down our rights to be married, when we lay down our rights to have that special someone by our side on Valentine's Day, and we just entrust that to God, or, or if we're married, lay down that right that we think we have to have the perfect Prince Charming by our side and just say, Lord, I entrust this to you. That is when he really can bless this area of our lives. The story of Ruth is such a great example of this. I know we've talked about Ruth before on this podcast, but she gave up her right to be married when her husband passed away. 
there were two women and one of them decided to go back to her own people and to pursue, you know, probably an, another spouse, just getting married, moving on with her life. But Ruth decided she was going to, even though she was a young woman, she could have been married again. She decided to give up her right to be married, her right to go back to her own people and just committed to serving Naomi for the rest of her life, even if that meant a life of singleness. And it doesn't sound very romantic to follow an old woman, a mother-in-law, back to her people and to be a stranger and a foreigner among those people and just to sort of serve this lady at the peak of your, you know, your young adult years. And that's really what Ruth chose to do. But she said, your God will be my God. And God actually blessed her so much for that decision. She was very yielded to God's will and to what Naomi was asking her to do all throughout the story. And because of that, she was extremely blessed in that area of her life, the very area that she gave up. God blessed her beyond anything she could have gained for herself. So the key to romantic fulfillment, I really believe in looking at scripture, is a fully surrendered heart. When we say, Lord, I surrender control of this area of my life to you. I'm no longer going to fight and scrape for my own way, my own agenda. I believe that you are more than enough to fulfill me, even if my romantic life does not turn out the way I hoped. That is a hard statement to say. And really, you can only truly say that in truth by the Spirit of God, God's grace enabling you to fully surrender all of your romantic hopes and dreams. But just remember, God is the one who gave you those romantic hopes and dreams in the first place. He created us to desire that companionship. And when he is the Lord of our life, he will do as he sees fit in this area of our life, whether that's singleness or marriage, he will always give us the very best. There's a really interesting quote from Amy Carmichael in one of her books where she writes, my hopes painted beautiful pictures, but they are fading one by one. And then the father said to her, your hopes painted pictures, destroy all those pictures, dare to destroy them. I will give you other pictures instead of those your hopes painted. And going on to read more about it, she describes how God's plans for her were so far beyond the hopes that she had, the pictures she painted in her mind. And until she laid those down, she couldn't fully experience the best that he had for her. Even though she never did get married, her God replaced her desires with his desires for her life. And she had hundreds and hundreds of children that she was able to invest her life into and just so much fulfillment that God brought into her life because she was willing to lay down her own agenda in this area. God's ways, the pictures that he wants to paint for us are always better than our own. Having a surrendered heart in the area of romance is definitely easier said than done in a culture that is constantly trying to tell us to fight for what we want, to go after what we want. It's your right to be happy. It's your right to find romantic fulfillment. You go after it, get what you want, do whatever it takes to find what you're looking for. That's what the culture says. But I'd like to share some biblical principles that can really help you keep a surrendered heart this Valentine's Day or any day that you might be struggling with this despite what those cultural messages may be telling you. And the first principle is to keep your priorities straight. One of the most baffling statements I think Jesus ever made was this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So the same Bible that tells us to honor our father and mother and respect our husband and love our children seems to be saying that we can't follow Christ unless we, quote, hate our own family members. 
So I've often wondered about this scripture. What does it really mean? God is reminding us here not to place anything above Jesus Christ, even the good and perfect gifts that he gives us, such as our families. It's obvious from the rest of scripture that he doesn't want us to hate our family members in a spiteful or sinful way, but it's very clear that we are never to put a higher priority on marriage and family than we do on Jesus Christ. So often we as women are prone to view marriage and family as really a form of idolatry. And I know there are modern Christian books that say that's ridiculous. It's not, you can't make an idol out of marriage and family. That's what God created you for. It's perfectly fine if you aggressively pursue that and desire that. And it is true that God created most of us to be married and and he put those desires in our hearts so that he could fulfill them in his own time, in his own way. But it's, it's not true that it can't become a form of idolatry. Anything in our life that takes a higher place than Jesus Christ can become a form of idolatry. And it's easy for us to think, well, Jesus isn't really enough to fulfill me. I won't really be happy or fulfilled until my husband becomes this type of a man, or I finally meet the man I'm supposed to marry and we settle down together. And that's really how it shifts from a good and and God-given desire to a form of idolatry in our heart. And often when we're single, it begins even before we've met the person that we're going to marry. We often believe, you know, in those single years, we'll be happy once we meet Prince Charming, once we settle down in a home with a white picket fence. I definitely struggled with that mindset during my single years. And honestly, I can't count the number of single women I've met who build their entire lives and thoughts and emotions around the pursuit of a guy instead of the pursuit of Jesus Christ because, again, the culture tells us that once we find a husband, we'll find that inner peace and fulfillment that we're looking for and just really pushes us to ignore the fact that Jesus Christ alone can meet the deepest needs and desires of our heart. So it's also tempting not only to idolize but idealize marriage hopes and dreams, especially in those single years. And kind of paint these pictures, as Amy Carmichael was talking about, paint these pictures in our mind that are so beautiful and so perfect and nothing ever goes wrong. And, you know, this this man that we're going to somehow meet and find and get married to is just going to be so chivalrous and so sensitive and bring flowers and, and write poetry every night. But this is a dangerous mindset because it, first of all, is not realistic and it will cause us to put unhealthy expectations on our marriage partner. It also keeps us from finding the perfect satisfaction in Jesus Christ that he intends for us to have. And if we expect marriage to solve the deepest needs within our soul, we'll only be placing those unhealthy expectations on our future spouse and harming our marriage in the process. Process. When we are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have everything we need for happiness right now, whether we're married or single. And I've said this quote before from Corey Ten Boom, but it's such a good one to revisit. Marriage is not the answer to unhappiness. Happiness can only be found in a balanced relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you belong to Christ, you can be happy with or without a husband, secure in Christ alone. So true and so hard to grasp when we have marriage or the hope of marriage as an idol in our heart. There's a really powerful biography that I read called Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Dibler, and she talks about being a young missionary. She and her husband had gone to be missionaries to an unreached people group, but shortly after they arrived in that country, the the war broke out, and the Japanese took over that country, and both of them were separated and ended up in prison camps. 
And just to think about this young young girl right out of Bible college in her 20s, um, her whole life was before her. She had a whole life to live with her husband. They hadn't even had children yet. And yet a few months after they were in prison, she found out when she was in her prison camp that her husband had died. And just thinking about the devastation that she must have felt And she immediately turned to Christ, saying, Lord, I surrender this to you. I know that even now you can give me everything I need for peace, joy, and fulfillment, even in these devastating circumstances. And one of the prison guards who knew that her husband had died watched her life and he was trying to talk to her and make her feel better, sort of like, well, when the war is over, you can go back to America and you can get married again. You'll find somebody else. And she used that opportunity to say why she was filled with hope and not despair in that situation. And she talked about her relationship with Christ. And eventually that testimony, because she was willing to say, my fulfillment comes from Christ. She was sad. She did grieve, but she didn't completely fall apart because she knew she had everything she needed in Jesus Christ. And because of that testimony, this one of the worst Japanese prison guards was converted to Christ, and she made an impact on many others as well. Now, God does put a very high value on marriage. So in talking about this, I'm never trying to discount the value of marriage or act like it's wrong to desire a Christ-centered marriage. It is a healthy, God-given desire. And marriage was God's idea in the first place. Majority of us are called to be married, and he does have someone out there for us that he desires to bring into our life. There's nothing wrong with the desire to be married or to prepare for marriage or taking steps forward into a romantic relationship with someone as God leads. The problem comes when we place our marriage dreams or expectations on a pedestal and put our commitment on hold until that season of life finally comes or until our marriage gets to the point where we think it's you know passing our test of what's good enough. It's tempting to cling tighter to our husbands and children than we do to Jesus Christ. God calls us to love our husbands and children, but he also calls us to love Jesus Christ even more. If we ever have to make a choice between God or family, he always needs to come first. And you can see that in the lives of Christian women throughout history who allowed their husbands to give their lives for Jesus Christ on the mission field and said, I'm willing to sacrifice my happiness, my temporary comfort and fulfillment of having my husband here so that he can bring a greater glory to God. And that requires the grace of God. We can't do that in our own strength. But what a powerful testimony when those women were willing to lay their their family and their spouse on the altar. Our security and identity must come first and foremost from Jesus Christ rather than from marriage and family. And that's what it means to keep your priorities straight in this area. The second key principle is to remember who Christ is. You know, the culture is always telling us that the only way to really find fulfillment is to get what we want out of life, to find that special someone, to have, you know, somebody who just is adoring, an adoring spouse, somebody who fulfills all our romantic dreams. And yet, When we know who Jesus Christ is, we know that he is truly the one who meets our needs, no matter if we're married, no matter if we're single, no matter if we have to give up our spouse for the sake of the gospel. Women throughout history, as I said earlier, and even today in persecuted countries around the world, 
are willing to risk their families for the sake of the gospel. Elizabeth Elliot risked her life by returning to live with the the very people who had caused the death of her husband in order to reach them with the hope of Christ. Sabina Wormbrand is another great example, allowing her husband to stand up for Christ publicly and even encouraging him to do that, which caused him to be imprisoned for 10 years, but she was concerned with the glory of Jesus Christ. Corey Ten Boom and her family were willing to sacrifice each other in order to protect Jews and obey God during the Holocaust, and many of them died because of that decision. What an amazing testimony our lives can be when the glory of Jesus Christ matters more to us than even our own life or personal comfort and security. So if marriage and family or maybe the hope of marriage and family has claimed more of your affection and focus than Jesus Christ, I encourage you to ask God to change your heart, to freshly surrender this area of your life to him, and to remember where the deepest source of fulfillment is found in him. Meditate on the amazing reality of all that he is. And I'd like to just give you a brief overview from scripture of what Jesus is meant to be in our lives. And these are just different statements of who Christ is all throughout Scripture. Just think about each one of these individually. He's my portion, my maker, my husband, my well-beloved, my savior, my hope, my brother, my helper, my physician, my healer, my refiner, my purifier, my lord and master, my servant, my example, my teacher, my shepherd, my keeper, my feeder, my leader, my restorer, my resting place, my meat, my drink, my Passover, my peace, my wisdom, my righteousness, my sanctification, my redemption, and my all in all. That is an incredible list, and that's just a snapshot. There's even more. And if we really allow Jesus Christ to be all of those things in our lives, we will not be rushing out to try to find our fulfillment another way. He fills us all in all, and when we allow him to become everything to us that that I just read, we will not have any reason to be dissatisfied or discontent whether we are married or single. The third principle is to receive loneliness as a gift, and most of us buck against seasons of loneliness, but if you are, are single and the culture is sort of emphasizing that on Valentine's Day, hey, you're still alone, you don't have that significant other yet, and really wants to make you feel woe is me, this is terrible, I'm in such a bad state in life. And really, whether it's the enemy whispering in your ear or just the cultural messages that wants to emphasize that aloneness during a week like Valentine's week, this is a great time to look at the advantages of walking through a season of loneliness because God has tremendous purpose for the lonely seasons of our lives. And I wanna share some of those with you, but I will say that even as a married woman, I've gone through intense seasons of loneliness, not because Eric was not a good husband, but just because being in ministry, there are things that we've had to walk through that other people just simply don't understand and they can't relate to it. And so marriage is not just what solves loneliness. There can be lonely seasons no matter uh, if you're married with six kids like I am. I've gone through tremendously lonely seasons even after marriage and family, but yet I've seen the incredible purpose that God has had for those seasons of my life. One of the one of the purposes that I've learned is that loneliness is a required course for leadership. This is a quote from that Eric and I heard from Elizabeth Elliot many years ago, and that loneliness is actually something God takes us through if he's preparing us for any kind of uh, leadership or world-changing impact on this world. Because if we're going to make an impact on others, we have to learn how to stand strong in our conviction, whether others understand or approve of us. 
or not. We ha- we cannot base our decisions on what others think of us. And because oftentimes we will be required to make a decision that God is leading us to make that that it reflects his ways and his pattern and his nature, but others don't approve it. They don't understand it. They, they're following the way of the world and they sort of look down on us for standing strong in our position in standing with Christ. If we've learned to be at peace in standing alone, we will be far less likely to compromise in order to win social approval. We have to let go of that fear of man and be willing to stand alone with Christ, even if no one else stands with us. Another key principle about loneliness is that it teaches us complete fulfillment in Christ, as we've been talking about. God allows loneliness into our lives oftentimes to remind us that he wants to be our all in all. And I've often shared that story of the Chinese pastor who was thrown into solitary confinement because of his faith for over a year, and he had no one to converse with, no other human companionship. And yet, after the end of that experience, he was just radiant because Christ had proven to be his all in all, his ultimate fulfillment, even in that dark and lonely season of his life. Loneliness also teaches us to go to the right source for strength. When we look at the life of Christ here on this earth, when he needed strength for the ministry that he was called to, he often went alone to a mountain to pray. Isn't that interesting? He didn't immediately go to other people. He didn't go and say, I just need to talk and process and vent and get advice from others. He went alone to a mountain to pray. And so many of us fail to do that. We think we have to share with somebody else or get other people's input to be able to get strength for what we're walking through. And while it can sometimes be helpful to process with other people, are we making a habit of going to Jesus first? And in seasons of loneliness, we can be so quickly reminded that he is there for us. He is waiting to be our comforter, our strength, to give us all the wisdom and clarity and reassurance and peace and joy that we need. What if every other relationship was stripped away? Would you Jesus Christ be enough to fulfill you at the deepest level of your soul? And that's a question that we're forced to ask in seasons of loneliness. Sometimes he takes away things, um, hopes of relationships or companionship in our life, just to prove that he really is enough. And sometimes he can't bring us into that next season of our lives, whether it's marriage or something else, until we've learned contentment and surrender, because he knows that we'll always be looking to someone else to meet needs that only he can meet. So if he has you in a season of loneliness right now, I would encourage you to embrace it as a gift and allow him to teach you at a deep level those soul lessons that will be with you for the rest of your life. So here are some final thoughts that I want to share with you. Whether you're single or married this Valentine's Day, God has a special blessing awaiting you. It's the gift of himself. It's much more fulfilling than any box of chocolates or a bouquet of flowers, a romantic date. It can't be found at online dating sites or in dating apps or at romantic restaurants. It's found in sitting at his feet and receiving all that he is. And he's waiting to give you that gift if you will simply come to him. If you'd like to learn more about Christ-centered relationships and bringing Christ into the center of this area of your life, we have some online relationships courses that are available just for a few days at a very special price. You can learn more at braveheartedchristian.com. I pray that you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.